right, so I have I have two stories I want to share with you. One comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Luke 19, 1 through 10, it says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was, uh, he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, has, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. He said, Behold, Lord. Half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I want to share another story with you. In 1938, an 18-year-old, Jesse Matos, had lost his high school class ring when he accidentally flushed it down the toilet at work. At the age of 90, Matos once again proudly wears his ring. While on his job, city worker Tony Kanji found the ring and recognized the crest as the same high school from which he had graduated. Based on the few clues the ring had provided, notably the graduation year of 1938 and the initials JTM etched inside the ring band, Kanji set out about hunting down the owner of the ring. After tracing down a 1938 yearbook, he determined that the only name to match the initials was Jesse T. Matos. Kanji also found a member of the 1938 graduating class still living in the area. As luck would have it, the man Kanji found was Mato's best friend, who helped Kanji in the last steps to reuniting the ring with its owner after 72 years apart. Have you ever lost something in your life and you thought to yourself, I am never going to have this again? You ever lost something and thought it was gone forever and then you found it? You know, a few years, maybe your wedding ring or something that you really treasured. You stuck it in a box when you moved and then you're going through it. And you thought you'd never find this again. And there, there it is in that little box or you put it over here and you found it. And what, a, what an incredible joy to find something like that. Have you ever felt lost yourself? I often wonder what my life would have been like if my friend Patty did not go back to our apartment complex and find me and invite me to youth group. I, I honestly, I sit back sometimes and wonder what my life would have been like. What, what kind of person would I have turned out to be? The, the trajectory I was going, I, I would honestly say I would either have ended up in jail or uh, just, uh, I don't know what kind of life I would have had. It wouldn't have been a good one. I can tell you right now, I would not be here. I would not be standing here in front of you. I, that, that is for sure. When, when I came to Christ, when Christ came into my life, I was able to overcome some of the struggles and, and some of the difficulties and, and that, that had gripped my life. And when I came to Christ, I, I felt like, honestly, I felt like that ring 
that was pulled out of the darkness. As I, as I read that story, that's why I want to share it, because I, I can apply it to my own life. As, as I read that story, I, can, I felt like that ring who was, who was pulled out of the darkness and out of the mire of the sewer and given back to my master. My life started, honestly started, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Like I said, I was able to overcome some of the challenges that grip my life. The gospel has the ability to change lives. It has the power to change lives. Put in simple terms, the gospel is good news. It's good news. The gospel is God's redemptive work through Jesus Christ on behalf of man, men and women, basically, on behalf of us. God's redemptive work through Jesus Christ on behalf of mankind. The gospel is, 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 is the perfect life, atoning death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the gospel. The perfect life of Jesus Christ, the atoning death of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. So that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ came to earth. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. He came to earth. Fully God, fully man. Lived a perfect life. Was the atone, and his atoning death on the cross for us to be brought back into a relationship with God and then raised again. That is the gospel that brings salvation to everyone who believes. You see, here's the thing. We live in a very confused and hurting world. People are looking for truth. They're looking for answers. They, people need help. They need help. I mean, we live in a culture that where people are walking around and, and things have changed so drastically over the last 20, 25 years that people, a lot of people are confused. They don't know that people, I hear people, older people all the time say, I don't recognize my own country. And I'm not going to criticize everything. I'm not going that direction. I'm just saying, if you talk to someone who's a little older, they're very, they feel overwhelmed by all the changes that have gone on. And in their minds, maybe not all good changes. But I think everyone feels that way. And people need help. People are looking for answers. People are looking and longing for truth. The question is, who is going to bring them that truth? That's the question. Who is going to bring them that truth? So often our voices are silent. We're silent on these matters. We say things like sometimes, well, my faith is real personal. And it is personal. Don't get me wrong. It's personal. But my faith is personal. I just keep it to myself. It's personal. And, and uh, things like, uh, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really talk about it. I don't, want to, I don't have to say anything about it. I just live it. I just live my faith. So I don't really say anything. People, people will see me and they'll recognize and they'll somehow, uh, by osmosis, understand the gospel. And so by just living as a Christian, that's all I need to do. Well, it's extremely important that we live as a Christian. So when people ask us about it, we can tell them, but that's what we do. We say, well, I live it. I don't really talk about it. But Romans chapter 10, verse 14 is very clear. It says this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? That's pretty clear. 
How can they how do they how will they know the gospel if someone doesn't share the gospel with them? Howard Hendricks said this, and I love it. He said in the midst of a generation screaming, screaming for answers, Christians are stuttering. In a generation of people in a culture that is screaming for answers, screaming for truth, Christians are stuttering or they're silent. We need to speak in a loud, clear voice. We need to share the gospel in a loud, clear voice. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, said this. Millions of surveys which we have helped to take around the world indicate that approximately 98% of Christians do not regularly introduce others to the Savior. So, you know, we sing these songs, and I'm not, listen, I'm, I, wanna, I always want to include myself in this stuff, but you think about this. We sing these songs, and if God's, God's love, is, His grace is so amazing, if His love is so amazing, or His grace is so amazing, why are we not sharing it? If His love is so unconditional that it just is awesome, it's incredible, God's unconditional love, why aren't we telling others about it? If God's power, if his power is so transformational, why aren't we talking about it? Why, why don't we talk about that? Why are we looking for opportunities? When you talk to someone, when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're hanging around your neighborhood, your mind should automatically be thinking, that person doesn't know the Lord. How do I get into a conversation about Jesus Christ? Very naturally. It's, if you practice, it's not very hard at all. Not very hard at all. One of the easiest ways to talk about some of the things that we do within the church, some of the things that we're doing in Nigeria. I mean, you get into conversation, you talk about, oh, we have this woman in Nigeria, and we've got, we give her five acres, and we dug a borehole, and now she's able to feed her whole entire family. She hired three or four other widows, and they have kids, and so we're doing this. And they, oh, that's really interesting. And you get into a conversation, and whatever, whatever the case may be, asking questions, you get into a conversation to lead other people into a relationship with Christ. Because my question is if he's so amazing if god's love is so transformed our lives why are we not talking about it what is it why are we being so silent see the thing is i know we all talk about i do i do talk about changing the world but then honestly sometimes and you gotta i gotta look at myself too look at myself in the mirror but we 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 talk about changing the world, but then we do sometimes so little to change the world. And what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that you change the world one person at a time. You change the world one life at a time, one investment at a time. And that's what it's all about. See, we, the, we, the church, the body of believers in Jesus Christ need to be the voice of truth to those who are lost. And this whole thing, I'm talking about this, this is the, we, we have five purposes in the church. We have a, our vision, you know, we're a global community of Christ followers, awakening imagination, igniting passion, unleashing purpose. That's the vision. We also have five purposes, which are the foundation, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, evangelism, and worship. Great commission, great commandment, okay, in Matthew. Great commission, great commandment, you get five purposes. Fellowship, discipleship, ministry, evangelism, and worship. And that's our five classes, 101, 213, 014, 1501. Well, evangelism, sharing your faith, is number four. Evangelism. And so, and so we, we got to be asking ourselves, if we want to be a healthy church, if we want to be a church that is, is impacting lives, if we want to be on fire for Jesus Christ, we need to be reaching out and sharing his love with other people. Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus, 
His encounter there can teach us some important lessons on how we can share our faith with those around us. So here's what I would like to do for the remainder of our time this morning. I want to give you five things we can do to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. Five things that Jesus did. He did more than five, but I'm, I picked five things out that Jesus did with Zacchaeus that will help us in reaching out to those who need to know Christ. There is nothing more important than doing this. Nothing. I love taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. I, I, I am a warrior for, for defending the, the, the orphan and the widow. That's, that's part of who I am. But there is nothing more important to me than leading people to Christ. And we have a few more baptisms coming up because in the last two weeks, we've led three or four more people to the Lord, two in my office, just sitting down, having an opportunity to share with people and leading them to Christ. There's something about it that just transforms your life. Your life, not just their life, your life, when someone comes to know the Lord. So what are these five things that Jesus can teach us? Number one, Jesus pursued Zacchaeus, okay? He pursued him. This is important. Remember I said, when you get into a conversation with someone at school, at work, whatever else, you're in the back of your mind, you should be thinking, how can I ultimately share the love of Jesus Christ with this person? How can I do that? You start praying for them. But here's what it says. It says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. Now, I'm not sure if Zacchaeus really knew what he was doing when he climbed up into that tree. But one thing is absolutely clear. Absolutely clear. He was searching for something that was missing in his life. You know, you don't know exactly when he climbed that tree, he wanted to see Jesus, but I'm not sure if he knew exactly what the what it was all about. And so he climbs this tree and Jesus engages him because Zacchaeus didn't really he was missing something in his life. And Jesus knows that. See, everyone, listen, everyone around you is longing for truth. They're longing for truth. Sometimes they just don't know how to find it, but they're longing for truth. And sometimes they just don't know how to verbalize it. There's missing parts in people's lives. And I don't care what they act like on the outside. It's what's inside that hole that's missing. Blaise Pascal said this. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus. See, we need to reach out to people because they are looking for hope. They are looking for answers People are looking, they, are, they, are, they feel, so many people feel hopeless. And I know they put on a good front, but given an opportunity to have a conversation, I don't know, even the most hardened uh, atheists. I remember when I was a youth pastor, students would come in and we'd talk about the Lord. And they'd, come, they'd come to church maybe for a first, second, third time. And when you got in a conversation, they'd say, I hate God, I hate God. I'm sorry, I take that back. He said, I don't believe in God. There's no God. I don't believe in God. And so I get in a longer conversation with him, and then it would come out that I hate God. Well, there's a difference between I don't believe in God and I hate God, right? Can, you know the difference. Then I, when you start talking to people, I don't believe, I don't believe. Then when you get them going, I hate God. Well, why? Oh, wait, wait, time out. Then why do you hate, why do you say you hate God? Well, when I was seven years old, I prayed for my grandmother, and my grandmother still God died. And I had one person had a gerbil. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny, but they had a gerbil when they were like four, five, six years old. And the gerbil fell down the habit trail thing and died or something. I don't know how that works. But, um, but they were angry with God. They were like 15 years old. And they were angry with God because God did not save their gerbil when they prayed for the gerbil. And they're angry. 
You think you think these stuff you're not going to know this kind of thing until you get in conversations with people and you talk it through with them. We need people are looking for something that is that is, they need a hope. They're looking for answers. And the answer to something like that is why did God not answer my prayers? It was just a gerbil. That's the question they would ask. They don't want to ask it when they're like 30 years old, though, because it sounds silly. But they're asking some tough questions. They just need they want someone to answer the question. But Paul Harvey said this. He said, too many Christians are no longer fishers of men, but keepers of the aquarium. And I see that. I see that in our Christian world. You know, we're keepers of the aquarium and we want to, you know, whoever has the biggest aquarium, that's where the fish will end up going. So, you you know, you get a you want to have a cool aquarium. And so but if you look around, if you look at statistics, if you look at even in Cincinnati, you look around and you see we have so many amazing churches around here. But if you look at how many people, how many Christians there are within the greater Cincinnati area, it hasn't changed very much. Why? Because it's just transfer growth. This is cooler than this. This is better than that. This is over here. I'm mad about this. I'm going here. And it's actually it's either in most parts of the country, it's either shrinking or staying the same. They may look around and go, wow, look at all these amazing churches we have. But it's just transfer growth back and forth. He says, we're no longer fishers of men. Jesus said to the disciples, I will make you fishers of men. Paul Harvey saying we're keepers of the aquarium. And I, I, I honestly, I can't argue with him in, in, in a lot of ways. My friends, that cannot continue. At least at Grace Chapel, uh, that's not who we want to be. That cannot continue. We need to reverse that trend. We need to do our part. I need to do my part in reversing that trend. Reversing that trend. We need to be going out and investing in the lives of other people because one thing is clear. Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus more than Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus. Jesus is looking for the lost and reaching out to the lost more than the lost are looking and reaching out for Jesus Christ. People don't always know why they're frustrated, why why they feel this emptiness inside. And so God pursues them. People know there's a void in their hearts. They know there's a void. They know there's they know there's a void, but they don't know how to fill it. And they don't know who can fill it. So they know it's there, but they don't know how to fill it. And so they'll go over here and they'll get counseling over here or they'll go here or they'll search or they'll have this. Oh, this will if I get to the top of this mountain at work, when I get to the pinnacle, then I will understand my purpose in life. And then who is it? Lee Iacocca said when you, they asked him, if you could pass on one thing to the next generation, what would it be? And Lee Iacocca says, when you get to the top, there's nothing there. And you know what Lee Iacocca does now with his life? He was uh, he was uh, took Chrysler out of bankruptcy and all that kind of stuff. Lee Iacocca was a famous, famous businessman. Right now, you know what he's doing? He's trying to end world hunger. And I, I say thumbs up to him. You go for it. Because he realized I, I got to the top of the pinnacle of what everyone would say was I have arrived. And when I arrived, he said, there was nothing, nothing there. See, it's our responsibility to plant seeds it's your and my responsibility to plant seeds. We need to plant seeds. Uh, and here you, you say, well, how do, what do you mean planting seeds? I was talking to a scientist recently, and we were having a conversation. And at the end of the conversation, he said, you know, I just want to let you know, we actually h- hired this through a, one of the companies that we're doing through self-sustaining enterprises. And he, he said, I'm, I'm an atheist, and I don't go to church. And, and I, 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 that's okay. I mean, I understand. People don't believe in God. Still, you can hire them. Um, but I started asking questions. Gee, it must be interesting to live a life where you have absolutely no purpose. 
It must be interesting for you. You have a lot of faith. And I, I walked him through. I asked what I did was I went through purpose. I went through first cause. I went through, you know, some of the, some of the history. I went through, and I kept on asking him questions because I honestly, I love the guy. I want him to come to know the Lord, and I want him to, to drive back where he comes. Like, he lives about 45 minutes away. I want him driving all the way back, and here's what I want. I want the Holy Spirit talking to him. All you have to do sometimes is ask questions. Hey, what do you, so you believe, what, well, how about and how about and what about and how about? Because isn't it great how everybody wants Christians to answer the questions of the universe? And if we don't, can't answer the questions of the universe, somehow we're wrong. But then they never have to answer any questions. So come up with some really good questions that people will say to you. You know, I don't believe in God. Ask them questions. Well, how, you know, what about purpose and what about justice? And what about, you know, what about first cause? And what about this? And what about that? What about ask them those questions? Get him thinking. Let the Holy Spirit do his thing. Number two, Jesus cared about him. He cared about Zacchaeus. See, we need to care about, we need to care about people enough to learn about them, learn about them and understand their felt needs. People have felt needs. Not just, you know, they have felt needs. What are their felt needs? Trying to understand who they are. Here's one of the things. People want to be known. They want to be recognized. And not in a bad way. Not in a bad way. I remember a friend who went on a mission trip one time. He was a pretty famous guy. And, and so he was on a mission trip and one of the kids was following him around and the kid told him his name. And the next day, the, 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 the little kid walks up to him and, and this person says to him, Hey, Emmanuel, how are you? And the little boy was just overwhelmed that he would remember. You remembered my name. You remembered my name. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. See, we are called to invest. We are called by God to invest in people's lives. We, we are called by God to get to, to get to know them, to understand, to, to try to understand their hurts and to listen, listen, to listen to their story. Everyone has a story. And I'm telling you, most people want to tell their story. Whether it's a tragic story or whether it's an uplifting, whatever. People want to tell their story. And, and we need to listen to their story. We need to try to understand their hurts. We need to try to understand their questions. Why are they asking the questions? One of the things about Ravi Zacharias that I absolutely love, when he gets in front of a forum of people, people ask questions and he doesn't just go, well, let me tell you, let me go after him. He, he's amazing at trying to figure out why the person's asking the question. What is, where's the hurt? What, what, what's causing this question to come about? He listens to the person talk and then he, he, he'll encourage that person. He'll say, you know, this is not some just trite thing you're asking. He'll go through. If you've watched him, it's amazing how he answers questions. First, he affirms the person asking the question, tries to understand why they're asking the question and then answers the question within the context of all of that. Why? Because he, he, he's like Paul. Paul goes into an area and Paul wants to understand the people in the area. When Paul would speak to people in different environments, he would say, like some of your own poets have said, how the heck does Paul know what their own poets have said? Unless he's trying to learn about them. He, before he went and spoke to them, he tried to understand who they were, what their needs are, what they, what they understood. And so we need to listen to people's stories. And then we think about, you know, why we're why are we finishing off this building? Why do we have the Grace Impact Center with all the soccer fields? And why are we doing the why are we doing the Orca Center? Why are we doing these things? There is a there is a thought through process to why we're doing all the things that we're doing. Two thousand people in our community a week 
use the Grace Impact Center for archery, for basketball, for, for soccer, for parties, for whatever, all kinds of things. We, we, we let people use it all the time for all kinds of different things to be able to reach out to our community. The Impact Center, and if, as we grow and become stronger as a church, and the more people that can be over there spending time hanging out, maybe hand out water bottles and just telling people we care about them and building relationships, and if people are watching their kids, sometimes you're just... I used to go, I, I still do, I'll go over there sometimes and just stand and kind of introduce myself to people and not push anything. Oh, nice to have you here. I'm the senior pastor at Grace Chapel, and so blessed that you guys could use this space. And Oh, yeah, tell me about this. And we get into conversations about their children, what they're going, what's going on in their lives. Sometimes they'll tell me what's going on in their marriages. It takes about all 10, 15 minutes in a conversation. The Orca Center is another one. The Orca Center. Um, well, let, me, let me back up a little bit. We have, the, we have the, the Grace Impact Center and we have our youth ministry. And our youth ministry is built on an incarnational philosophy. When Jesus was here, how did he do ministry? Let me say this very quickly. Jesus had the same message, listen, the same message, the gospel, okay, but a different approach depending on who he was talking to. He talked to the rich, the poor, the afflicted, government officials, tax collectors, Pharisees and Sadducees, prostitutes, right? He talked to all different people. Same message, different approach. Give you an example. When a prostitute would come crawling up to him with a broken heart, did you ever hear Jesus say, get away from you, tramp? You sinning tramp, get, why are you even near me? No, why? Because he could look into people's hearts and he knew she was already broken. He didn't need to say anything like that. She was already broken. She was already humbled. She already recognized her sin. And so he would what? Hold them, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. To the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of the time, what did he say? You brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs. Why? Because he's mean to them? No, because he knew their hearts were, hearts were hardened. And he was trying to break through them. He loved the Pharisees and Sadducees as much as the prostitute. But he knew how to address certain people, depending on the circumstances, to get through to them. So in our youth ministry, we have impact groups. Groups of like-minded students. If you like to do this, we'll do this. If you like to do this, we'll do this. If you like to do this, we'll do this. Impact groups. In our Orca Center, we have seminars now. We have a next seminar coming up. It's called Creativity and Innovation, Unleashing Your Potential for Success on May the 23rd at 6.30 at our Orca Business Series. And we have, we have different guys coming in to speak. Will, uh, Andrew, Andrew Nyer is coming in. Andrew, Drew, our, we know him as Drew. Max Hammond, Chris McGill. They're coming in, okay, to speak to groups of business people around the area. Why are we doing this? Because we want to meet their felt needs. Because when you meet someone's felt needs, you earn the right to be heard. You earn the right to be heard. I would lo- I'm would. i going to read at some point to you. I don't have my phone with me right now. But we did the last one, and someone emailed me or texted me, okay, and said, Thank you, Pastor Jeff. They knew who I was they, after I introduced myself over there. Thank you so much for doing this and for, for sacrificing for us and, and investing in the community. I don't think they were believers. But they were thanking us for connecting them with and helping them with starting an online business now we have a relationship goes three deep there's three of us who have a relationship with that one person that's what that giving an opportunity you meet people's felt needs and if they don't want to come to church and they don't want to come to christ we can still meet their felt needs if someone's starving to death i'm not going to say come to jesus before i feed you i'm going to feed them and then hopefully have the opportunity to share the reason i'm feeding them because of the love of jesus christ 
that he's put in my heart and give to them all I can give to them. I have a, one other thing I'm going to share with you next week that I think is going to be real exciting, but I'll wait till next week to share that. But here's what I like to do. We were ha- talking about these what-if moments throughout this series, and I, I, I asked Jessica, where's Jessica? Come on up here, because I, I want Jessica to share her what-if moment with you. Um, Because I think you're going to find this extremely interesting. And I love the fact that people are being inspired by everything that's going around the campus and thinking, well, what can I do to have an impact? You can sit right over here. Here's your mic. So, Jessica, tell us about your what-if moment. Um, I had a what-if moment about what if we could impact the community by providing a program that will inspire girls to get involved in science and technology and engineering? Um, Because this is kind of a real problem right now, and a lot of people don't realize that um, there aren't a lot of girls in engineering. I've been going on a lot of college visits, and I always ask how many girls are in your engineering program, and it's never been over like 30%. So and most of them were like five or six percent, right? Yeah, most of them. Um, most of them are like 15 percent or yeah. less. Yeah. So that's we want to get that to 50 percent. Um, and the reason why girls don't want to get involved is because they feel like they can't do it or it's too much of a guy thing. And we want to change that and make it a girl thing, too. And we want to show them that they are capable of doing this. Um, so to do that, I wanted to make a program that will uh, provide summer camps and a Lego robotics team for um, elementary school girls and potentially high school and junior high girls um, so they can build confidence in these areas. So you're going to do robotics, you're going to teach them robotics, and you're going to teach them aerospace, right? Yeah, we can teach them a lot of things. Okay. And, um we can potentially teach them programming, which requires a lot of computers, which we probably won't have this year, but we could potentially... Unless someone gives Yeah, unless yeah, someone okay. gives computers. Anyone who <laughs> gives computers, we could do that. <laughs> yeah, that's my job. To be <laughs> um, so we could do a lot of things with this. Uh, yeah. We could get them involved in engineering, robotics, aerospace, electricity, yep. stuff like that. Um, and the main thing is we want to show them that it's a lot of fun. And they are capable of doing this. And so in August, we'll have a summer camp. And then in August, you'll start the STEM. The STEM is that what it's called? Um, in June, June, we'll have the summer camp. Okay, June. And then in August, the LEGO robotics team will start. It's through a program called FIRST. And that's when the season starts. And it goes through December. And so we're starting out with what age girls? Um, ages 9 through 12. Okay, 9 through 12. Yeah. And so what do you need from us? From the church. Um, we will need uh, adult females to mentor the kids and um, kind of provide just a positive role model for them to go on off of. They don't need any experience in the engineering or technology. They just need to be good with kids, and I want them to enjoy working with kids. Um, that's really it. I awesome. Anything else you want to share before? No. That was awesome. That was, that was okay. fantastic. Hey, Thanks. it was high school, too. It was, it was really good. Thanks. Good job. That was fantastic. That was fantastic. 
So this is the kind of, you know, the what if moments people are having. And this is what we're talking about, because here I don't think even Mason High School has a robotics and aeros, you know, space kind of program they have for the kids. We're going to start with the younger kids and then kind of work. They'll go all the way through high school. And but think of the think of the kinds of ways that we can reach out to our community. This is what I'm talking about. It's not just you don't have to knock on someone's door and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. That really it can work. Probably not as well in our culture now. I'm not saying don't do it, but there are creative ways. And even a high school student, Jessica, saying, okay, here's how I can reach out in a way that invests in the lives of young girls, okay, to not only help them. She wants them to change the world. She's looking to have those young girls grow up and change the world and invest in their lives spiritually. That's just another opportunity that God is giving us. Okay, so number three, Jesus spent his time with him. He said, this is what he said. He said, Today, I must stay at your house. We must be willing to go, listen, where they are, whether it's to their homes, okay, or to their places of work. You're in, you already work in these places. You don't have to go to someone else's place of work unless it's an opportunity maybe to have lunch with a person. But go to their places of work. Go to their circles. Where are they hanging out? Where, where, are, they, where are they spending time? We need to go where they are. But listen, while still being set apart by God. We, we, we need to be set apart in how we live. Because the problem that I see now with a lot of believers is that we go where they are, but then we act like they do. Well, if you're going, if you're, if you're saying, well, I'm gonna, I want to be with my friends, so I'm going to go and hang out in this place or hang out at that place. That's totally, I'm not saying it's wrong. All I'm saying is if you're going to go in an environment that's going to be a little difficult, you need to stay who you are. You cannot go where they are and then act like they do. How then are they going to be asking you what is different about you? Nothing. Nothing. I'm just acting the same way everyone else is acting. Somehow you're maybe a little bit nicer to the person that served you something rather than the person who's not nicer. That's not going to challenge people to think through their own faith and, 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 and allow them to start asking questions. We need to live it. We need to, we need to talk about it and we need to live it. And our churches, our churches need to stop, okay? I hope we're not this way, and I never want to become this way, but we can't, we can't be this come and see church mentality. Come and see, come and see. Jesus says to go and be. He says, go and be. He says, be my ambassadors. Go and live amongst the people that you're, that you're interacting with school. Go, go and be. Live, live with the people, draw them into a relationship with me, draw them into that relationship. And when they ask the question, why are you different? Answer the question, have courage to answer that question. Listen to this in Matthew nine, nine through 13. He said, notice, notice the people that Jesus is spending time with here. Okay. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. Follow me. He told them and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not. Listen to this. Listen to this. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. See, I think we've that has changed. Our culture has changed. The church is really built in a sense, I think, for the healthy. But Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but, are, but, but the sick. 
but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. When someone, when someone, you ask someone to come to church, and here's what they're going to say. Uh, come, why don't you come to church? Oh, man, if I, if I walk through the doors of your church, what would happen? The walls would cave in. Tell the person, go back and tell them, hey, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13 says that, hey, if, you, if you're saying you're such, a, you're such a sinner, a bad person, that's, that's what the church, that's what Christ established the church to reach out, to share the gospel with those who are sinners, with those who are lost, with those who are whatever word they want to use for themselves. The walls will not cave in. You are welcome here. Let them know that. Let them know what it says. It says basically, I hear this. Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Obviously, a church is a place where we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. But it is a hospital for sinners, okay? Not a hangout for, for all the believers. It should be a mixture. It should be a mixture, Number four, Jesus spoke truth into his life. He spoke the truth. We need to have courage to speak the truth, guys. We really do. We need to have courage to speak the truth. We exist to call people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The truth of the gospel changed Zacchaeus' life. The truth of the gospel, listen to me, will change anyone's life who responds to it. It transformed my life. I can tell you personally that when I heard the gospel and I came to know Christ, it completely transformed my life. Sometimes we don't speak the truth because we are intimidated by, by, by the masses, if you will. We're intimidated by the masses. But I'm telling you, just because a mass load, a large group of people say something is true, doesn't make it true. And you need to stand your ground. That wall, those curtains are black. Okay? I'm one person standing on stage. I am telling the truth that they are black. And don't get all scientific on me and call it some other color black, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. The wall is black. Okay? I want every one of you to say, uh, together on the count of three, that wall is red. Say it aggressively. Say it kindly. Say it any way you want. But I want you to say it loudly. I want you to say, in count of three, that wall is red. One, two, three. Say it again a little more. Come on. Okay, now here's the thing. Just because all of you said the wall was red doesn't make it red. Just because some of you said it with passion doesn't make it red. Just because some of you said it with anger doesn't make it red. Just because some of you were really sincere about it doesn't make it red. Just because most of you in the room said the wall was red doesn't make it red. It doesn't make the wall red. Even if it's your perspective, your truth is your truth because you believe it and you believe the wall is red. It's still black. We need to not be intimidated, but to speak the truth. We need to speak the truth just because the masses are saying something and they want to intimidate you and silence you from your truth and what you believe. Don't let it happen. Speak the truth. Speak it in love. Speak the truth in love. Argue, get into good arguments, you know, good debates, speak the truth in love, okay, but speak the truth. Number five, Jesus taught him the importance of living and giving. 
He taught him how important it was to live and to give. See, the gospel is about discipleship. It's about discipling other people. It's about hearing and understanding how to, to helping them to hear and understand how to live for Christ and how to give with a, with a generous heart and with a healthy attitude and with a joyful heart. That we need, we need to help people understand that, to understand how they can give, how they can live for Jesus Christ. How do I live for Christ, okay? How do I live for Christ? And how do I give? That's what Jesus taught him as well. How do I give joyfully? How do I have that attitude? We should be, each one of us, should be growing in our relationship with Christ in such a way that we can disciple other people. Jesus taught Zacchaeus, okay, how to live honestly. And he taught Zacchaeus how to give generously. He taught him those things. That's why Zacchaeus said, hey, if I, if I ripped anybody off, I'll pay four times the amount and I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. When his life began, when he, when he, when he really came into a, an experience with Jesus, when you have an experience with Jesus Christ, it changes you and it changed Zacchaeus. And he said, if I've been behaving one way, I'm going to behave a different way. We need to, we need to teach young believers how to live for Christ and how to give to Christ. See, I, at the end of the day, the reality is one of the clearest ways and the clearest marks of a believer, of a, a mature believer, is their giving, period. One of the clearest determining factors for a person who's mature in their relationship with Jesus Christ is in how they give, how they give financially, how they give of themselves, how they give back. We need to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to help people grow. We need to show them the way. See, it's, it's really boils down to it's an internal investment. I'm sorry, it's an eternal investment of our lives into the lives of others. An eternal investment. You make an investment and it will pay off. I love this quote as we close. S. Truett Cathy said this, the founder of Chick-fil-A. He said, if you wish to enrich days, plant flowers. If you wish to enrich years, plant trees. If you wish, wish to enrich eternity, plant ideals in the lives of others. Let's bow our heads. Father, we want to plant your truth in the lives of others. Because we want to enrich eternity. So, Father, we pray with all of our hearts that you would speak to us right now. Speak to each of our hearts. Help us, Lord God, to plant seeds in people's lives. It is time for us to plant. God, help each one of us to think of one person that we know who needs to know Christ. Put that one person in our minds right now. Lord, bring that person to mind, whether it's a family member or a friend or a, a co-worker. Or it doesn't, doesn't matter, Lord. Bring that one person to mind who needs to know you. And Lord, over the coming weeks, we pray that you give us the courage to invite them to church or share the gospel with them or start a conversation, Lord God, that will bring them into a closer relationship with you. But give us the courage to invite them, Lord God. Help us to pray. Impress upon us the need to pray for them every single day. And again, Lord, give us ways 
Impress upon us through your Holy Spirit the wisdom to know how to share your love and truth with them. God, we love you. We praise you. We pray that we would have those what if moments. What if I could do this to maybe reach out to my friends? What if I could, what if I could start something like this in, in my neighborhood? What if, what if, what if, what if? But all the what ifs leading to one place, leading people into a personal relationship with you because you are an awesome God. You are worthy of our praise. Give us the courage to share the love of your son, Jesus Christ, with all those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.